Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. John, I think we have another interesting show lined up for today. You know, we're going to start off talking about the five things never to buy ever. 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 Yeah, I mean, these are some things that, uh, well, I won't say ever. You may buy them, but you need to buy them used or be smart about how you buy them. Um, so these are things we commonly see folks buy, and uh, they spend a lot of money, end up wasting a lot of money on them. So we're going to talk about these things, and you want to make sure that if you, this is something on your purchase list, uh, that you're smart about how you go about it. Yeah, and we're going to follow that up with a, a discussion on um, really retirement planning. And, and we, we see this, Steve. Um, people, when you do a retirement plan, they say, I'm going to work till 67 or 70 or even sometimes even beyond that to kind of make up for some lack of savings early on. And that's a dangerous strategy. I mean, the data says um, don't do that. Two-thirds of employees leave sooner than they wanted for various reasons. So we're going to kind of dive into that topic a little bit and um, – tell you why you should not plan on that. Now you can once you get there, but um, planning on that may be a, a bad strategy. That's right. That'll be good. And by the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 23 years experience in providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 25 years. We're excited to have listened to us today on our weekly show. Um, our podcast up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, check out our website, moneymd.net. We have a link to the uh, the podcast. We have, I think, well over 200 podcasts now that you can go check out on all kinds of topics. Um, we have videos that are available. We've, we've recorded some videos and just put a DFA video about ignoring the noise in the market um, out That's there. So check one. out the website. A lot of good information. We have a Facebook page as well and also a Twitter account. Yes, we do. That we do tweet we do. periodically. We do tweet periodically. Tweeted this morning. There you go. There you go. Check that one out. I'm sure it's a good one. It is. Yeah. And you can also reach us by email. We'd love to hear from you. You can, you, you can email us directly at info at moneymd.net, or you can just link to us off our website. All right. We're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this is interesting. Uh, April has really been the best month for the S&P 500 over the last 25 years. That goes back to 1993. It's gained an average of 1.8%, wow. um, which is just a little bit ahead of October. So does that mean there's been no negative Aprils? Of course not. No, of course not. And would you make a decision based on this information? No. <laughs> no, no. It's just a fact of the week. So it's interesting, but uh, it's yeah. not significant. It's not statistically significant, right? And you'll also hear going into May, you know, selling May go away, right? Yeah. You hear that? You've heard that before over the summertime. Well, right. that doesn't work either. No, it doesn't. I mean, there's so, no. I mean, again, there's there are years that looks brilliant, but then you know, there's a question of when do you get back in? You know, when you sell, do you get back in and in, in uh, July, into July yeah, or into August? It it just is totally random. There's no scientific basis for following some formula that's going to get you a higher return. <clears throat> so don't do that. Yeah, I mean, there are bad months, too. You know, historically, I think October has been the worst month of the year. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know what? Some months are great. Last <clears throat> October was fantastic. Yeah. So. No, October says there is pretty good on this. Oh, is it? Yeah. But there's been, if you remember 2008... Yeah. October was down like 20%. It can be terrible. Yeah. That's right. There have, so. there have been, just don't make decisions based on... Yeah, these, the headlines, these headlines, these statistics, that's right. 
All right, good fact of the week. And that leads us up here to our first topic, and that is the five things never to buy ever, ever, ever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, ever. these are things you, well, I mean, I have experience with some of these, and um, yeah, they didn't turn out so well for me, but uh, but they're interesting, John. I mean, there are a few things in life that almost never work out to be a good deal. And so we're going to talk about five of these here. <clears throat> and unfortunately, we've all bought one or two of these at one time or another for sure. And these aren't disasters, but they tend to be expensive and you don't want to learn the hard way. So if you choose to buy one of these, then there are going to be some strategies to save you some money. You know, the closest I came to buying one of these is when I bought a couple of used jet skis Mm. um, for one week vacation we were having. I said, hey, if we're going to buy these jet skis used and I'm going to turn around and sell them after the vacation, it'll be great. We can use them all week. It'll be so much fun. We were going down to the Florida Keys with some friends. So I bought two jet skis, you know, used, put them on a trailer, drug them all the way down to the Florida Keys. I don't know what I was thinking, you know, and they were used. So I didn't spend a lot of money on them, but we used them. We only used them sparingly that week. Josh actually got pulled by the, you know, DNR or whoever it was, you know, in the water for being under 14. Got was, thrown in jail for like the a, week. He was a week too young to be flying, to be using them in Florida. You know, the trailer had some trouble on the way home, so I had to sweat over that to try to get them back and stop. And Your family was looking at you, Work son, on the trailer. Dad. Yeah, and then when I got them back, finally I, I sold them. You know, one of them I sold broke immediately after I sold it, and I had to make good on it, and it was a nightmare. It was a nightmare. So, you know, we just uh, – you just – these things don't normally work out too well. Um, but, you know, if you live on a lake and you want to own jet skis, nothing wrong with that. Buy them used. That's, that's a great idea as far as the used part. Um, but, you know, they'll disagree on some of these. I'm sure some folks out there listening are say, well, if we own this and it's been great. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, the, the facts kind of speak otherwise when you look as a whole where for people. Lots of people buy lotto tickets, too. It just it just proves that it's not all about the math. You know, many people are hopelessly bad at math. So the first one, though, here is a timeshare. Okay. Oh, come on. Oh, really? I know. See. It's uh, it's kind of a no-brainer for a lot of people. But, you know, you'd be shocked at how bad the math is on these and yet how many people actually buy them and get stuck with them. You know, first, I mean, there's the upfront cost. You know, the average timeshare today costs like $15,000 in today's world of new timeshares. Yeah, and if that's not bad enough, you have a maintenance fee as well. That can be like 800 to 1200 bucks, um, you know, for a week. And then you're, you know, locked in that property. And, you know, unless you got to pay more to switch. So they have some point systems out there. Then we also see, um, you know, uh, assessments for owners for improvements. And you're stuck with that bill. You have no recourse. And you can sell them on the secondary market like eBay, um, but you'll probably get nothing out of it, right? I Not mean, so much. You, you've lost the 15000 And um, the truth is, you know, you can usually rent a place, you know, for a week um, for the cost of the maintenance fee. There is one, um, I've seen it, Dave Ramsey recommends timeshare exit team okay. to get out of these. It's expensive to get out of it as well. Right. Right? You're going to pay thousands of dollars to do it, but it may be worth it. Just to get out of it. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. That's a shame. Yeah, I've actually rented some timeshares down in Hilton Head during the off-season, and you can usually get a great deal on those, and it's less than the maintenance fee if you mm-hmm. owned it. Mm-hmm. So you can rent these same places most most of the time, and it's 
it's uh, even cheaper. So, the, you know, the only ones I've seen that really turned out okay over the years of looking at people's portfolio of what they own um, was I've seen some that were bought in Hawaii years ago and they've held their value. But that's very, very rare. And then that's expensive to get out there. Very expensive <laughs> yeah. to get out there. But they bought it, you know, and it's been, you know, the number one resort destination, so to speak. So that was number one. Next one here on the list, though, is an extended <laughs> warranty. Yeah, I know. I mean, uh, and I've bought one of these before. But, you know, whether you're talking about a new car or an appliance, an extended warranty is statistically a very bad deal. I mean, sure, we've all heard about people who had extended warranties and they came out ahead after some big failure. Um, for sure, that can happen. But, you know, that's that's certainly a rarity. And the chances of your purchase failing after the manufacturer's warranty expires, but before the extended warranty expires, which usually is only a year or two period, is fairly remote. And then the repair cost has to be more than the price of the extended warranty, you know, minus the deductible um, for it to be beneficial. So, you know, there's all these caveats as well in the extended warranty, like normal wear and tear that aren't covered in the extended warranty. Yeah, and the reason why companies sell these extended warranties is um, profit margins are extremely high, 70% compared to 10% for like an appliance product. Um, So they're definitely going to push the extended warranties. They also say that um, consumer reports that appliance repair rates or seven to twenty-eight percent in the first three years. So, you know, the odds are on your side that you're not going to have um, an issue during those first three years. Consumer Reports suggest that you simply, you know, save that money and uh, for the extra warranty and put it aside to help in case you do have a repair beyond the original warranty. And I'll tell you, in our house, we um, I've kind of lost this battle a little bit because we've gone through many, many appliances. And, and so we, we do get the extended warranty on on an appliance now because we've been through like eight. Yeah, I know. know. And the the minute I've, I've done that before on, on some small appliances, the minute I bought it, it never failed. Yeah, I know. You know I'm like, I know. daggummit. You I mean, know, we're I've going, had, to, yeah, yeah, we're going against the odds. I mean, statistically, it says that you're, you know, you're yeah. better off to save it. But um, yeah, right, right. But then my refrigerator failed, and I didn't have an extended warranty. It was under the regular warranty, and finally, I got them to replace it. But either way, it's a huge hassle yeah. having to deal with them. You know, a huge hassle. But yeah, okay. So the next one here, though, is a car lease. Okay, and I know some folks lease their car. I even heard a new twist on this just the other day. Some folks from Atlanta, there's a company called Clutch, and it's it's like a car lease, but it's not really a lease. It's just a, it's just you you can trade the car in any time. Hmm. You're driving a brand new car basically, <clears throat> but you're paying eight hundred and fifty dollars a month for it. Oh my goodness! Wow! But Forever. you get to drive like a forty, fifty thousand dollar car, you know, and then you can take it in, you know, and switch it out for another one next week if you want to. And of course, you know they they cover everything, insurance, everything. Hmm. But uh, anyway, that's it. But sounds of course, like you're driving your retirement. There. That's a terrible deal, of course. I mean, it's got to be, you know. So, uh, but it's I'm sure it's very, very convenient. Um, well, anyway, you've heard us say before how much you'll save by buying used cars instead of new, but but what about leases? You know, many people think that if you only keep a car a few years, then a lease makes a lot of sense. Well, the truth is that you'll spend much more leasing than buying new and selling it <clears throat> when you're ready for another car. I mean, major repairs aren't really an issue the first few years that you own a car, Um you know, those are covered by warranty. Uh, 
So yes, your payments may be higher with a purchase, but if so, you have equity when you sell it. You get to sell your car for what it's worth. Leasing usually costs more than meets the eye. I mean, there's the excess mileage fee. You know, if you if you drive over 12,000 miles a year, then they charge you for that. Yeah, which most people do. Exactly. You know, there's the insurance, insurance gap coverage that you have to have. There's damage payments. Um, Dave Ramsey, Clark Howard, Susie Orman, they are all against it. Every financial expert I know is against extended uh, leasing cars. Yeah, and Edmunds.com shows a five-year example where you save 21% or about $7,000 by buying new instead of leasing. And that's primarily because you own the car at the end of the period, and then you can sell it and get that equity. Of course, they show buying a used car as the cheapest solution of, of all of those, even after paying more for the maintenance piece of it. So we'll stick with the used car. Absolutely. Buy a few-year-old used, good used car, drive that till the wheels fall off. That's by far your cheapest option. Okay, the next one here is, the fourth one here is a home maintenance contract, also called a home warranty or a service contract. Um yeah, I know these sound appealing, particularly for, you know, maybe a single, single, you know, female or somebody that's not handy at home. But at 50 to $100 a month, these may sound like a good deal. But if you read the fine print of what's covered, the fact is all the major stuff that would happen to your house would be excluded, like the air conditioning breaking or the roof leaking. Anything that's considered normal wear and tear or storm or termite damage will not be covered. Anything that's considered uh, the result of poor construction, like found a foundation, would not be covered. So, yes, you might get someone to inspect it and tell you when you need to repaint or caulk, but it's going to cost you extra money for almost anything they do, you know. And then they've positioned themselves to get the repair job on the spot at their price without you bidding the work out. So, you know, that's the reason why they accept these deals, Um but it's not going to cover hardly anything. It's a very bad deal. You don't want to do the home maintenance contract. I know it sounds appealing. Mm-hmm. Um, the last here, though, is a new boat. Um, and I know if you love the water, it's tempting to go out and buy your brand new spanking new boat, the new boat smell. I'd have to throw the RV in there as well. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. you know. I'm with you. RV is right there, the exact same category. And I can understand somebody wanting a brand new, you know, car if they can afford it um no doubt you use it but you know boats are a little bit different story you know and so is a camper um so yeah yeah unlike a new car it can be difficult to get a a great deal on a new boat for a lot of reasons um as a result new boats lose about 25 percent or more of their value in the first year and once it hits the water it's not new anymore so you know, it's going to lose it very, very quickly. And furthermore, people who don't use their their boats nearly as much as they intended after the first season. So there's kind of like a push initially. So you'll see a lot of two or three-year-old boats that hit the market. They're in mint condition, and they're at a fraction of the new boat price. And so, you know, if you have a, an, an itch to cruise the lake or go out in an RV, um, and we see a lot of people retiring that are looking at RVing around Absolutely. the country, yeah. get something used. I mean, there are great deals out there. Um, that you can that you can get and you can save you know forty percent on the list price. Yeah, fraction of the new new price. So definitely buy those used. So the takeaways here are you know stay away from buying a new timeshare or a boat. I mean those uh, buy those used on the secondary market for a fraction of the price. 
And don't buy an extended warranty or a home service contract or lease a car. You will save a bundle by avoiding those. And oh yeah, you should also resist the lotto tickets. That's right. The math is not on your side for any of these things. Um, so if you know some uh, some other things that we should uh, never buy, please email us. We'd love to hear from you. But uh, yeah, those are the five things never to buy ever. All right, and that leads us up here to our question of the week. This question has to do with investing and what percentage of my equity um, investments, my stock investments, should I have in the international market? And it's been a while since we talked about international. It's kind of died down a little bit. 2017 was a fantastic year internationally. Yes, and it was. They were due to have a good year. So, you know, if you look at the industry uh, pundits, the Dave Ramseys of the world, the Clark Howards, you know, 25 to 45%, um, they, they recommend an international. No, it really depends on your situation. Uh, international does have some additional risk, um, political risk, currency risk, and so forth. But it's interesting when you look back at history, international has actually outperformed the U.S. about half the time. Yeah. So it helps your diversification. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, you know, a good way to look at it is look at the amount you have in stocks. So the amount of equities you have. And let's say you have a 60-40 portfolio. You ought to put about a third of that or more in in international stocks. Mm-hmm. So 30% or more maybe. So if you have, if you're in a 60-40 portfolio, maybe 20% should be in internationals or more. Um, you know, I think up to half. Mm-hmm. Uh, of your stock portion. Yeah, Clark Howard actually looks at the uh, value of all the companies, and we see this data as well. He actually goes 60% in international. Oh, wow. He really goes extremely high, or maybe it's in above 50, but he's he's at the top of the of the level. So Yeah, that's a little unusual. And I think one of the risks people have with having too much international is their emotional tracking error risk. You know, it's it's their portfolio not doing, not following the S&P 500 and the Dow. And they're looking at the S&P 500 and the Dow every day, and that's their barometer. And so if their portfolio doesn't keep up with it, then they're like, oh, there's something wrong. And it may force you to sell low or, mm-hmm. or you know, buy high, if you will. Yeah. So it's, you got to manage your emotions, too. It's dangerous. I mean, the S&P 500 made, what, like zero for 10 years. That's right. You're talking about, you know, completely evaporating a retirement plan. If you make zero for 10 years, that's not going to be a good solution. So, so that's why you diversify. That's exactly right. So great question of the week. All right. And that leads up to our next topic here. And that is the dangers of planning on working longer in retirement. Yeah, this comes from um, CNBC, a personal finance article by Carla uh, Freed. And, um, you know, stark reality, Steve, in retirement planning is that your future is really riding on a quality of assumptions and optimism can be dangerous. And, you know, staying on the job past 65 may be easier said than done based on the statistics. For example, when you look eight years into this bull market, you know, expecting stocks to deliver as strong returns over the next decade um, maybe, maybe a challenge. So that's one of the assumptions that you have in your retirement plan. Another one is continuing to work. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, and, and another, a potential flawed assumption is that you'll be able to keep working past age 65. Um, the recently released 2017 retirement confidence survey, uh, by the employment employee benefit research Institute finds that more than half the workers say they expect to still be on the clock past age 65. By comparison, less than 15% of the day's retirees 
keep working that long past age 65. So there's a big disconnect between what people think they're going to do and what's actually happening. Yeah. And there's even more stark. There's actually on this survey, Steve, there was about 38% that said they were going to work past 70 and in reality, only 4%. Wow. So you got to be careful if you're planning on working longer in retirement to make up, you know, that's okay, but be careful on those assumptions. You could be in trouble. It's, it's simply too risky to assume that you'll be able to, to work longer. There was a survey that was done by Transamerica and they found that nearly two thirds of retirees left the workforce earlier than expected because they were either laid off. Maybe they had a reorg, um, you know, and they were out of a position or maybe they were just unhappy associated with it. And only 16% of retirees who exited the workforce earlier than they expected did so because they could do financially. Mm. Right. So not many people are retiring sooner because of financial, unless you've done a good job with the planning. Uh, Also, there's a report from Prudential. It puts a dollar figure on why your current employer may not be inclined to do backflips when you want to stay long term. The estimated one year cost to a firm when an employee delays retirement is fifty thousand dollars. Wow. So you think about all the benefits and everything associated with that. Maybe not as productive. I don't know. They don't go into detail on this, but um, that's a big number. That's a huge number. That's interesting. I guess it's the extra salary and all as opposed to your pension, then your pension gets higher too. So Yeah, medical and matches and things like that. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, Prudential estimates that on a company-wide level, delayed retirement can increase overall workforce cost by 1% to 1.5%. And that's not nothing, you know, and it goes a long way in explaining why employers may be more inclined to focus on financial wellness strategies to get uh, workers ready to retire sooner than programs to help workers delay retirement. I mean, they really want to move older, older employees kind of off the rolls. They do. And there's not a lot of employee employers who offer a transition program such as flex work schedules or reduced hours or, you know, shifting to a different role. And what we see is workers' vision of retirement is changing faster than the employers. Um, That makes it even more crucial for pre-retirees to take steps today that will increase their odds that they can continue to work longer if that's part of the plan. So, um, you know, it's just it's not matching. The employers are wanting to get rid of people. The employees are wanting to stay. That's right. That's right. So trying to run the table at your job doesn't exactly float your boat, um, you know, or that that you you sense that you likely won't be it won't be a very friendly place as you age. You know, it, it's doubly risky, risky. So you need to pay attention to that. Making a move in your 50s can be the ticket to working longer. New research by the Center for Retirement Research at Boston College found that 55 percent of people over age 50 who attend college and voluntarily switch jobs, they continue to work to age 65 compared to only 45% of workers who didn't make a voluntary move. So kind of planning ahead and making that move yourself when you kind of sense your employer may not be friendly towards 60 something, Mm -hmm. you know, folks working, uh, that can help you to, to be able to prolong your work career. Yeah. So if you're sitting there listening to this or, or you know someone that you can sit down and help, um, here's some steps that you can take. First of all, curb your spending now versus later. So, you know, there's, um, there's some ways that you can catch up. If you're over 50, you have a higher catch-up contribution limit on your 401k and on, on your IRAs. Um, but you can also do some other things in your finances that can help, um, you know, 
help you exit sooner. And one of the things we work on with clients is paying off your mortgage, trying to get that done, right. going into retirement. That allows you to not have any fixed payments going out. And um, maybe you can work part-time in, in retirement and still have a good good income. Just 40% of baby boomers with an eye on working longer told Transamerica that they are keeping up their job skills. So that's another area that you want to focus on. Less than 60% were focused on performing well at their job and only 14% are locked into the need to network. So, you know, those should be at a hundred percent. I mean, if you really wanted to work into your mid to late sixties, then you're going to have to keep your skills up. You're also going to have to, to network as well. One of the major disconnects is that people, few people have taken the important steps to help themselves to be able to continue working. So you got to be proactive now. So if you're in your 50s, there are things that you can do to help your retirement, saving additional money, paying off your mortgage, um, doing some planning. If your employer offers job training, you should sign up for it. Um, some employers are often offering tuition reimbursement as well that you have to you know, take advantage of. So again, when you look at retirement planning, one of the assumptions is, is when do you retire? And that makes a big difference. You start looking at Social Security Every year you wait, it's another 8%. Um, That's right. But it doesn't mean that the employer wants to keep you. Yeah, right? that's, that's unfortunately true. And there are so many other reasons like your health, health and, right, right. and, you know, parents' health and things like that that can kind of push out the door. So, you know, don't plan your whole retirement around working to age 70 or even 65 for that matter. Be realistic. Look at the people around you. Know the place that you work you know, and what their trend has been in terms of keeping employees past age 60 and make sure you kind of know what, you know, what's a reasonable target retirement date, have that built into your plan. So that was a great, uh, great topic. And that leads us up here to our final thing. And that is the prescription of the week. Yeah. If you have older parents, um, make sure you're, you're helping them with their finances, um, looking at their bank statements or credit card statements, help them to uh, avert uh, financial mistakes and fraud. And I mean, we see it more and more and, and hear about it. Um, you know, there's, there's scams that are going on yep. all the time and people are getting scammed out of money and um, signing up for things they shouldn't sign up for. So, you, you know, you, you may have to have a discussion with your parents, maybe get financial power of attorney over your parents' account so you can help them manage and monitor it. Um, we do have a lot of clients and, that are, that are sons and daughters that are in the process of doing this with their parents. And it is important because there's a lot of, there's a lot of fraud that goes on out there. There is. So be, be diligent to help your parents out, you know, and just take a look at their finances, get their permission to, to, to kind of look over their shoulder and, um, you know, maybe be copied on their statements so that you're getting a duplicate copy of their statements or it's coming to your house first, or you have online access so you can kind of look and see what's going on in their bank account, what's going on in their in their uh, their brokerage account or their investment accounts. Um, just just make sure that you're you know helping to keep protect them from fraud because we see it more and more mm -hmm. and it's pretty prevalent. It's very easy for them to get confused and think that there's a real you know need to give out information to somebody. I had a, a good friend whose father is, was going through some um, medical issues and mental issues, and um, he got his credit card statement and started looking through it. And his, his father was signing up for these uh, investment pre um, prescriptions, subscriptions, and it was thousands of dollars a year. So he was paying oh, fifteen no. or $20,000 a year 
in these subscriptions and, and he didn't use them and so forth. So he had to, uh, his son had to go in there and, and get financial power of attorney and really start monitoring things. Cause that's, that's a waste. I mean, that's going, that's just Absolutely. spending money for nothing. Yep. Yep. I've seen that several times with different seniors out there. So great prescription of the week. Okay. This has been this week's edition of money MD Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions. You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net. Or give us a call, Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening and have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Smart Investor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.